0: I used to see them as monsters, and so I used to be pretty scared, you know, sure. and sitting in my chair, and oftentimes as the therapist, like, what if he hurts me? Now I see them as little boys who are scared, who are armored up, um, and so we humanize the work.
1: Welcome to Hope Renewed, helping you find new hope when ministry leaves you hopeless. The Hope Renewed podcast is brought to you by BIR Ministries. Here are your hosts, Tom Jameson and Sean Nimichek
2: Well, Sean, you shared with me that you had a conversation recently with our good friend Chuck DeGroat uh, about uh, serving under a narcissistic pastor and some of the dynamics, and uh, we're interested to hear that here today.
3: Yeah, it's it's been an interesting season. I've had several uh Pastors uh, call me and say, "I think I'm serving under a narcissistic pastor. What do I do?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I wanted to bring Chuck in on this conversation because he's really the expert in that area, and ask him some questions about uh, what do you do, when is it time to leave, and uh, what are some things you need to be thinking about. And so we had this conversation uh, in the spring of 2023,
2: and so I'm looking forward to to seeing. Uh, how our listeners will respond. Well, let's go ahead and listen in on your conversation with Chuck DeGroat.
3: Well, Chuck DeGroat, thanks for uh, for joining me today. Uh, it's good to see you, my friend.
0: Yeah, it's good to see you too.
3: I thought we'd just sit down and have a conversation for um, leaders who are are in larger churches and find themselves working under a narcissistic or controlling leader. Uh, I've had several of these types of leaders reach out to me just in the last few months, and I'm finding they uh, they kind of fall into two different categories of people. One is a, a leader who um, has just taken a new job, and he gets there and he finds out that he was not told uh, the truth about his job. Things change, whether it's the the amount of pay, uh, the job responsibilities, uh, the relationship with the senior pastor, um, just all sorts of uh, gaslighting, complaining, criticism, very negative spirit, and uh, wonders, you know, why did I even take this job? Mm -hmm. Um, The other scenario that I'm seeing, and this one I see a little bit more often, is uh, somebody who's been serving under a very charismatic leader for some period of time, And they start to see some things that are troubling, whether they be sinful patterns uh, or, um, you know, criticism or anger or foul language or abuse or any number of uh, character issues. And then they start to address those very gently, carefully with their senior leader, hoping to bring health. And the senior leader turns on them, Um, just responds to that by uh, circling the wagons, uh, getting uh, the leadership team around and targeting this other leader, this younger uh, or second-tier leader. Uh, And to such an extent that uh, their reputation is tarnished in the church and in the community, um, and they're driven out, and it's just a lot of pain. Uh, Have you seen things like this?
0: Never. I'm I'm not (laughs) sure what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Are you making this up, Sean? oh yeah. I mean, no, we're, yeah, we're yeah. This. I mean um, well, I mean, I think in your work and in my work, we're probably hearing these stories a lot more than than others. Although, um, if you're dialed in in any way to to social media or to some of the podcasts, most notably like the rise and fall Mars Hill, right? Mm-hmm. You you know, you're you're aware. I, I mean, I do run across people at times who are like, that really happens? Like, because I did some writing on this and uh, largely out of the work that I've done over the last 20 years. And I think probably in the first 10 years or so of my work, particularly within the church planning world, there was a lot of denial around Mm -hmm. these things. Um, Now, Now it's interesting. So now we have more language for narcissism, abuse, spiritual abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, things like this. Right. Um, But I think at the same time, I'm beginning to um, see a pendulum swing. You know, we're talking a lot about these kinds of things. And, and, um, and even of late I've been, uh, as I've worked with different networks and churches and denominations um, beginning to to help them understand at, at times the difference between bad leadership and abusive leadership, right? Yeah. There is a, a difference, right? And so, um, but the good news is that we're more aware um, and that there are safe places like sitting with Sean um, to to talk about these kinds of things.
3: Yeah, so my question often is, is this person really sitting under a narcissistic leader? Do they just have a bad relationship with this leader that's kind of gone sour? Uh yeah. is this leader just immature and unable to handle criticism? H- how do you delineate between those different things?
0: Yeah, I I um one of the reasons I did some writing on this is cuz I uh I think probably like you with burnout. I mean, we use these words somewhat haphazardly at times, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh yeah. you have a bad day and you're like I'm so burned out. Um and um it's important to get clear about what we're talking about. And I think with narcissism, it's not merely a, um, a sort of a binary, like she's a narcissist, but he's not. Um, there is a spectrum and mm-hmm. psychologically speaking, there's a, there's a, um, a psychology here, a history here, in terms of how we understand narcissism, how we test and assess for narcissism. And, and oftentimes, I, mean, I, I think if someone experiences the sting of a maybe a, a, a leader who's a bit of a bully or a big personality, we're quick to say, "Well, he's a narcissist." Those of us who do the work um, are a little bit slower to name mm-hmm. it. You know, the, the, I I do a ton of assessments. I mean, I've done hundreds and hundreds of psych assessments over many years, pastors and church planters, and I would say that a, a good number of the pastors and planters that I see are on. Um, a spectrum uh, within what we call cluster B personality disorders, which includes mm. narcissism, histrionic personality, borderline personality, turbulent personality, um, but but a smaller number elevate all the way up to narcissistic personality disorder, and those are the ones that you experience as uh, as, as completely unself-aware, resistant, unwilling to engage conversation. So there may be, I think. By and large, what probably you and I deal with a lot are people in churches where they're pastors with narcissistic tendencies or yeah. a narcissistic um, type, but maybe not elevated all the way up to the personality disorder, but you're still experiencing the sting. And I don't want to minimize that either. Right?
3: Right. Exactly. So uh, for these leaders who are are starting to address some of the problems or see some of the problems in their senior leader, uh, and then that leader turns it back on them and makes the and en- makes them the enemy. Yeah. Um, that can be damaging not just to that person but to their whole family yeah. um, and it can be fairly traumatic or is trauma too big of a term there?
0: Yeah, yeah it can be it can it can be traumatizing for sure. I um had a very hard ending uh, about 20 years ago a story that I don't talk about very much, but where I I sensed that I was a lot younger then, and um, and I, I should have been under good care, but I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. I should have been in therapy, but I wasn't. And I was reactive, um, and I sort of had it out with a senior leader that I was under and, and called him narcissistic. And one of the things I learned through that experience is whether he was narcissistic or not, I had been experiencing trauma within that that situation, that context, mm-hmm. for a number of different reasons. and. Um, Oftentimes, I think we get uh, sort of fixated on the the leader or what's wrong with the leader when I think the first thing that we need to do is get our own care. Um, I think it's really helpful to get with a therapist who is trauma-informed and who understands some of these dynamics and simply begin to do the work yourself so that you can begin to make good choices, not from a place of reactivity like I did, um, and I paid for it. I lost my job. And, um, w- and Sarah and I really struggled over the next uh, year in particular. Uh, we had to live with some friends. I mean, it was a tough, tough situation. Um, not because I was reading the situation completely inaccurately, but, but because I was responding out of my own reactivity. Mm-hmm. And so my counsel is always to, to maybe be a bit slower to name something as narcissism and be quicker to doing your own work um, so that you can make the right decision. And, and if something needs to be said or someone needs to be confronted, well, as, as I often do with the people I work with, we can do that down the line when, when the time is right, when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, um, sometimes I'm talking with leaders who, um, they're right in the thick of it. You know, they've already started to address things and conflicts blown up and they just don't feel safe yeah. uh, anymore. Um, should they still slow down and do that trauma work themselves? Or is it necessary to step out of that relationship to -hmm. leave that position for a while so that they can do the work? Uh, Does one come before the
0: other? Yeah, not necessarily. And I mean, I, I think, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm careful to tell people to just step out immediately because as you know, I mean, that has a a cost too. Um, and, and sometimes, there's a, a, a greater trauma, putting your your family, yourself in a situation where you're not getting a paycheck, you're jobless, you're, you may need to move someplace else. And so uh, I think if there's a way to stay in it, and this, this is the tough part, right? Because you don't want someone to stay in an abusive relationship.
3: Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> right? Um, and so I need to do some assessment. Like if it, if it's the kind of relationship where it's daily, like damaging to a person, Mm -hmm. then, then we're going to try to find a way, just like I do in a marital relationship for them to, to step out. But if they can, if they can manage to, to sort of stay in that and monitor their own autonomic nervous system, their own reactivity, um, and come to a place where they, they can, uh, we'll make a choice. Uh, okay, maybe that choice is, I, I want to leave. Or maybe that choice is, there are several other people here who uh, want to sound the alarm. And I think I'd like to participate with, you know, three other colleagues to sound that alarm. Um, or I, I want to sit down and have a conversation with, I've, and people have done this, you know, or I want to sit down and have that conversation myself, maybe with another leader and, and to confront the senior pastor. Well, that's something that comes out of really thoughtful, slow engagement with someone like you, someone like me, yeah. uh, those of us who are we're going to slow the train way down and get people paying attention to what's going on within them.
3: So what would be um, an example of a situation where you would say, get out now?
0: Yeah, so uh, I, I've, I've seen some pretty drastic situations and even then'm I'm, I'm fairly slow to say get out now but um, there there are times where um, where a senior pastor uh, holds so much power that there's a palpable threat. Um yeah. I'm not talking about a, a threat to someone's life but um, where there's a maybe palpable threat to someone's reputation or where it's it's incredibly unhealthy for them maybe there are some pre-existing, um, sort of mental health conditions or something like that, where it's just unsafe for them to stay in that kind of role. Um, I was working with a young pastor and, and I'll, I'll make sure this, this is uh, not a, this is a composite. Okay. Of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So that there's not someone out there saying he's talking about me, but, <laughs> but this is a scenario that I've seen where, um, um, uh, particularly young, sensitive, um, pastor working for, um, a somewhat sinister senior leader where, uh, it, it's d- daily walking through those doors every day, um, costs so much to that person's nervous system mm-hmm. that, um, that there are maybe other behaviors that they're engaging in, maybe some kind of addiction, alcohol addiction, or maybe, maybe they're, they've become, um, maybe there's some suicidal ideation there or something like that, right? Where it's important to me for that person's safety to get out and for us to find some sort of plan for them to get safe. Um, And it really is in some ways analogous to what I'll um, do in, in, in marital situations where a spouse is unsafe. Like we, Hmm. we need to get you to a place where you're not, um, you're not going to harm yourself where you can um, your autonomic system can begin to slow down and rest and regulate that. That's maybe a little bit more rare, mm-hmm. um, but there are situations like that for sure.
3: Yeah. I've had situations where um, the the leader will say to me, this is really damaging my marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife is having trouble or my, my husband's having trouble with the way I'm, at home, and we need to fix this issue first before um, yeah. before anything else. Um, That's right. So sometimes, uh, some of the leaders that I've talked to uh, have actually started to do the work. You know, they have been in therapy for quite a long time. Uh, they're doing good soul care. Yeah. Uh, they're they're coming to these conversations you know, really well differentiated and, and um, uh, with a a calm spirit and things still blow up in their faces. Um, What do you do then?
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing about that is there are things that happen to you. There are things that you can't control around you, right? But uh, what you can do is, is pay attention to what's happening within you. And so, Mm Um, that's, that's what we have. We have our own capacity to differentiate, to self-regulate and to make a decision, to step away, to set a boundary. Um, I think that when you're, when you're dealing in situations like this, uh, part of what, um, activates someone's nervous system is just the, the inconsistency, the irregularity, the chaos of, of the system. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, my, my, my. It's interesting because I talk to a lot of people who are like, "What can I do?" and they want to sort of rearrange um, the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Yeah, right. And and uh, and in a sense, what I'm saying is, save yourself. You know, like, um, and I don't mean that in a selfish way, but I, I mean that in a like, you, you've uh, whatever it takes for you um, to survive and be well, to live another day, to. Um, and I do wish someone would have said that to me years ago. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember in the situation that I was in, there are particular people, including a therapist in my life, was sort of egging me on, like, oh, you can you can do it. You have what it takes to, maybe you'll be the first person to confront this pastor um, who were not at all attuned to what was going on within me. Um, they were thinking, oh, Chuck DeGroat might be the guy to finally change what's happening at that particular church. He'll be the staff member to finally kind of do... And I was 32 years old, you know, um, and and so I I do wish I had someone looking out for me a long time ago saying, you know what, Chuck, um, you're hurting, you're uh, you're in pain, you're 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 uh, overwhelmed, you're lonely, um, and and I sense that you're in a lot of activation, and and so let's just find a way for you to kind of. Um, move out in a way that blesses him and blesses you and you know but but i just didn't have that mm. um, yeah what about you have you experienced anything like that
3: oh man there's so many things that uh, that i learned through my recovery and burnout it's just about how much help i needed in just noticing what's going on in me yeah um, and so having somebody alongside you to help with that is is really really key I think yeah. kind of what we're talking about is what Jesus was referring to when he said, "Take the log out of your own eye." It's not just deal with your own sin, but make sure that you're healthy, that you're well, that you can see clearly uh, to address this situation. That your own stuff isn't getting in the way, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So sometimes, um, now I, I don't want to paint the picture that all big churches are bad or anything. Far from it, but there are some churches where if you're that second level leader. Um, really, it's your job to maintain the momentum of the machine, you know. Um, and that's what you do all the time. And as some of these leaders get healthier, they realize they don't want to be part of that machine anymore. They yeah. they they want a slower pace, um uh, in uh unhurried pace to to borrow a- Alan Fadling's term. Um uh, how would those leaders uh, begin to move out? Uh, because I found some of them, when they, they start talking about wanting this this slower pace with Jesus, that's seen as a threat within these churches. And sometimes things blow up around that too, uh, so yep. that they're attacked, they're belittled. Uh, how do you step out in that situation?
0: Yeah, so... Um that That's tricky, too, because I think you're exactly right. I think when you begin to talk about those kinds of things, or you introduce contemplative practices or um I- invite invite maybe elders or the senior leader to to think about new ways of doing ministry, it's a threat. Mm-hmm. And um you know one of the things I, I say when I teach on this is we all have nervous systems. like um that senior pastor has one, and you have one. and and he when he experiences threat, he goes into survival mode too. Um, and you might be that threat and that threat may be, Hey, we need to slow down, practice contemplation, you know, uh, yeah. engage soul care, um, uh, practices within things like that. Right. And so it's important to slow down sometimes. And in those kinds of ministry situations, when obstacles come up, when, you know, when, um, when there are, there are things that are sort of introduced from the outside that, that, uh, that feel chaotic or throw them into some uncertainty, these, senior leaders can start to spiral a little bit you know
3: yeah
0: they have nervous systems you have a nervous system so it's important to sort of recognize that that might feel like a threat to to him or to her too um and and to understand I think we do these things oftentimes in like principled ways you know like mm-hmm. um he's principled about you know we need to grow this church so that we can bless the city with other churches that we can multiply and you're principled with you know I want to do slow church and I you know, I've learned contemplation and silent prayer and solitude, and I'm reading a lot of Merton and Nowen and and I want to do, you know, and I I'd rather I think that there maybe there's maybe a little wisdom in both, but um, I I want us uh, oftentimes in situations like that when I'm working with a system, I'm wanting people to slow down and try to connect. I'm wanting um, I'm wanting uh, both parties. To, to sort of center and do the work that they need to do to really listen to one another. And so
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, now I'm talking a little bit more on a systems level. Right. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I just, I think it's important to recognize that um, within church context, within staff context, within organizations, uh, we're human beings with stories um, with pain, with fragility. Right. And there are things that will animate us, activate us, stress us, um, that are different for each of us. So how can we move toward one another with empathy until the other person displays that they're not capable of empathy? And that's when you're probably dealing with someone on the narcissistic spectrum.
3: Yeah, yeah. So there, there are times where we need to approach with humility, with gentleness, yes. uh, recognizing that they're probably going to be triggered or activated at first and we need to provide some safety and come back mm-hmm. to this very slowly and carefully yeah. so that they know we're not against them necessarily, yeah. but this change might be for everybody's good.
0: Just to be clear, um, because I, I uh, people will disagree with me on this, but a, a narcissist is not a monster, nor is a narcissist evil, like as in, you know, through and through. Um, a narcissist is an image bearer, but a narcissist is – Uh, let's say it's a a male, it's a little boy under threat and under threat, people can look very big, very bad, very dangerous, you know, Mm -hmm. porcupined out swords out, you know, um, and, uh, and that's really scary. But, uh, the, as I've done the work over the years, the only way that I can sit with these men, primarily men, uh, I used to see them as monsters. And so I used to be pretty scared, you know, and sitting in my chair oftentimes as the therapist, like, what if he hurts me? Now I see them as little boys who are scared, who are armored up, um, and so we humanize the work.
3: Yeah, yeah, they're like uh, like David in Saul's armor. It just doesn't fit, but they're they're trying to to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, sometimes uh, people are really at the beginning of this this process. They're they're just learning. Man, I've really been wounded over the years. Um, And I recommend to them, you really need to find a good trauma therapist, Um, but they don't know how to do that. How does somebody find a good trauma therapist? What do they look for in a therapist to be able to begin to do this work?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's challenging too, because just just because someone says trauma informed doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to do the work um, and, and engage the work of the autonomic nervous system. Or, or that they have the kinds of specializations that some have, whether that be an EMDR or brain spotting or deep brain reprocessing or all the somatic experiencing, all the different kinds of modalities out there, um, internal family systems. So um, I, I think it's really important to interview therapists, you know, to go in for your first session in a sense um, as a test session. Um, what kind of, what kind of trauma have you worked with? Um, have you ever worked with someone in ministry who's dealt with, um, mm-hmm. uh, abusive leadership, you know, ask, ask kind of pointed questions. Have you ever dealt with someone like me? Um, maybe they say, no, oh, no, I've never really dealt with someone like that. I, I, I mostly deal with traumatized war veterans, or I, I deal with uh, children who, uh, are adopted or might not be the right therapist for you. So, um, do an interview, but but then trust your gut. If you're six sessions in and it just doesn't feel like uh, it's helpful, it's it's okay to fire your therapist. I've been fired. Um, <laughs> it's okay to say, hey, I just don't think it's working between us. I, I'd really like to see someone else um, and then then end the relationship. It's a, you know, on the surface, it's a transactional relationship. Now, every therapist, every one of us who does the work will tell you, it's much more than that. Especially mm-hmm. when we get into the work, it's a trusted relationship, right? But um, if I'm going to be paying 125, 150 in some case, I just found out there's someone with half the experience I have charging $250 an hour, but oh, um, oh. people are charging a lot of money for therapy these days. Don't keep giving your money away if, <laughs> if it's not working for you, you know? That's right. Yeah,
3: yeah so it can take a few sessions. Um, and you should find somebody that, uh, helps you to feel heard and seen and yes. known yeah. somebody that you can trust. If you, if that stuff isn't there, the rest really doesn't matter. Right. There needs to be yeah. some sort of
1: relational
3: yeah. connection. Now you don't have to be best friends with your therapist or something like that, but, mm-hmm. um, that, that yeah. basic trust has to be there and that yeah. takes time to develop. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does take time to develop and don't base it on shows like shrinking or other, you know, (laughs) but I think, I think what you just named is so important. uh, Someone who sees you, someone who you feel safe with, um, uh, someone who listens well um, that that's something that, you know, this is why I say, trust your gut, trust your body, because your body tells you, so your body's got a radar system. It's called neuroception and your body tells you, Hey, this person's safe. This person is okay to be with. Um, you can tell your story here, and so if you listen within. And by the way, in Christian circles, what I just said in, in some in some Christian circles is is heresy. Trust your body, trust yeah. your feelings. Um, but what we know is is um, is that our body, if we listen well, if we learn to listen well, will tell us this person is safe. This person isn't safe, and it's most of the time the people who have not trusted their bodily intuition. Who stayed at the church with the abusive narcissistic pastor for ten years?
3: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. You you talked about the idea of approaching this issue slowly, mm-hmm. making sure you're doing your own work. Um, can we put a time frame on it? Uh, how how long does this process take to be yeah. able to to really address this? I know you can't say, well, it's going to take you two weeks or you know, yeah. two years exactly but th- this isn't something that's a quick fix so it going right. take some time
0: yeah and some of that depends on your story it's not so much the situation but um your your story your body what you're bringing um i i often times say that as i began to you know probably now six seven eight years after i was fired and i began to really do my own work in earnest um I realized at first, you know, I was laser focused on what happened to me um, in 2003, but I began to see that it was caught up in a larger story of trauma and that my trauma was cumulative or compounding, you know, Mm, over the course of years. Um, uh, It's the difference between maybe a one-off situation where you're fairly resilient, you know, that bad thing just happened to you, but, you know, you're basically secure and you've been well attached to your parents and you've got good relationships and, and you know, within six weeks or two months or you know six months even, you're back on your feet and you're feeling good and and you're not having a hard time trusting and you're not mad at every church in town. Versus the person who, you know, this the the, the particular um, experience they just had at the church, you know, under that senior pastor is caught up in a much larger matrix of trauma mm-hmm. in one's life. And there, you know, we're talking at times about complex trauma. We're talking about trauma that. Um, you know, we're, most would say, you know, you might be doing therapy for for years. That doesn't mean every week over the course of years, but um, it might take much longer uh, Mm -hmm. for you to get to that place where you can engage more resiliently. And so it's hard to put, it's not, again, not so much about what happened. Two people can go through the same exact situation at a particular church and one is resilient within a, a month and the other one is is uh you know after a year seeing the same therapist still struggling?
3: Yeah, because we bring our own baggage into it. It's yeah. it's it's really our our past, our history, our family. Uh, it's all involved yes. in in that. Um, yeah. so if if someone says, uh, "All right, I recognize I need to do this work," are there certain landmarks along the way? So, for example, if you're in that survival mode, probably the first thing that we need to work toward is just getting you to feel safe again, yeah. to feel secure. Um, are there certain landmarks to look for
0: toward healing? Yeah, well, I think um, you will grow as you shift from that that kind of activated, what we call sympathetic nervous system state, what I call storm, mm-hmm. that constant storm within, um, to home base to center, to a place of, of calm and connection. Um, uh, as, as you begin to intuit a sense of safety, as you begin to feel like you're back in your own body, um, as you feel more connected um, to your emotions, um, as you feel like you have more agency, like in other words, you can make choices. You're not caught up in a- ambivalence or uncertainty or indecisiveness, uh, all signs of trauma, by the way. Um, Th- those are some of the signs that we begin to see. As someone will be, will say to me, you know, I'm, i am I I've walked back into church and I just don't feel the same anxious activation that I felt, you know, two years ago. Um, I feel safer. I feel like if I uh, needed to step away, I could step away and I wouldn't be kind of stuck, you know, um, whereas some people will, will, will tell you kind of early on in a, in a journey around their trauma, uh, church trauma, like. I don't know if I went back. I'm. I don't. I'm not confident that I'd be able to make the best decision for myself to get out. Right. So yeah, those are some of the signs we see that uh, you know that that begin to tell me. Yeah, I think there's some resilience. I think you're living from. Um, I, I call that place home. In other words, home in God. Home. Um, in your own body, uh, a place a place uh, that, that feels safe, where you feel secure, um, held, known by God, loved. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, do yeah. I get to ask questions too, by the way? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. I, I mean, I, I think it'd be fun to turn the tables here. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, um, I have had a question for you for a while that I think I have a, a way of thinking about, but I'm, I don't know that it's so helpful. But um, you've done all this work on burnout over the years. And um, if someone came to me and said, so what's the difference between burnout and trauma? Um, how do I know I'm in burnout versus whether or not I'm in trauma? What's your answer to that?
3: Yeah, um, well, often it's, it's, it's a really blurry line um, because so many people who think they're in burnout are actually just experiencing trauma. Uh, they're they're really uh, needing much deeper work um, than than what I can give them um, so I usually focus on if you can name the source if you can name really where it happened uh what's what's leading to this burnout um, and usually it's going to be workplace related stress of some kind it's mm-hmm. not a major wound, although it may be small wounds over a long period of time that build up to a major wound. Yeah. Um, it's usually not, you know, one big thing that you can point to. Um, it's a, it's a slow slide. Um, and usually uh, it involves uh, more of a violation of our own values mm-hmm. um, and falling into people pleasing uh, and relational conflict is often involved, but it's, it's from what I can see it's it's usually not major traumatic events mm-hmm. um, it's not abusive, although yeah. sometimes uh, church boards or church leaders can feel abusive um, when we' we're just not in good uh, yeah. harmony with one another yeah um, but that's that's really what I focus on is is what's the story yeah um, behind it
0: when, when do you know when you're dealing with folks who are burned out when do you when do you have a sense that i I need to maybe send them to a, a trauma therapist what what's the the clue or the cue to you that you need to do that
3: um it's It's after usually um, lots of questions um, i I usually ask some basic questions around burnout just to see if there's that level of fatigue the depersonalization um, that people experience in burnout but then Often they start to tell stories of childhood wounds, um, family of origin issues, Mm -hmm. um, things that are popping up from their past in their current relationships. That's a sign to me that there's a deeper work that needs to be done there. Uh, And I'm willing to listen, but I tell them that I'm not a therapist, and so I'm not going to uh, be able to help you uh, through this you know i probably could help them a little bit but I, I don't want to do more damage so um that's where i say uh coaching with me and seeing a therapist at the same time is a really powerful combination yeah uh and those who who are willing to do both or have the ability to do both um uh, really thrive
0: yeah do you ever do you ever see it where where someone is so um uh maybe not, not cued into or clued into what's happening within them, that they're, you know, that they come to you and they say, well, I, I'm suffering under a narcissistic abuser and they're using that kind of language. And and you sort of determine, no, you're just burned out. I think, I mean, your pastor may not be a great leader, but I think you're just burned out. Does that happen?
3: Yeah, it does happen. Uh, it's often in somebody who's been burned out for quite a while and mm-hmm. now the people around them are starting to see it and starting to uh, talk about their performance and it's starting to feel heavily critical because, yeah. you know, they, they have fallen off quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think usually uh when somebody comes to me and says, I, I'm working under a narcissistic leader, I say, tell me about that leader and the relationship. What is it? that says this person's narcissistic or controlling or abusive mm. to you. Um, and unless I hear some, some real intense, abusive language, um, I I'm hesitant to, to call it narcissism. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, they, they're, they're going to use the language either way. It's just yeah. kind of part of our yeah. culture. Um, yeah. But uh, I always say we can only work with you. Uh, I I can't, Help you change somebody else. Yeah. Um, so you're the one who can help. Can work with you and and we'll just figure out what is within your power to change. Yeah. And, and start with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is where your book is so helpful because I do think you know we're using we've got much more access you know because we're we've been around for a little while you know uh, we weren't using these psychological terms in the church. 20 years ago, right? And so we've got much more access to them now, and so people are are quick to name things as narcissism, abuse, trauma, or whatever the case may be, uh, which very well may be so. But I think to have a a guide like yours to help people uh, sort of self-diagnose in a sense to say, yeah, uh, this actually is burnout. It is work related. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's caught up in a larger story of of, um, deeper wounds. So helpful.
3: Yeah, I have had number of people come to me and say I'm burned out. And you know, when we talk about it, there's actually other mental health issues going on mm-hmm. um, that that really need to be addressed. And it's not because they're in an abusive system. Um, you know, they they may have uh, ADHD or um, have been diagnosed with you know other mental health things that are really driving what they're what's going on. And then in those situations, I just say that. This isn't something I can help with. Um, yeah. I'm just not yeah. trained in those areas. Yeah. Uh, so figuring out, uh, you know, is it really work-related stress? And is it really their, their inability to manage that stress um, that's the issue? Because that's really at the heart of what burnout is. Yeah,
0: that's really good. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for that. That's really helpful. I think it's probably for people who are tuned in right now, too, maybe just helpful to kind of make those distinctions, right? Yeah,
3: so. yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So let's 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 just end with what does health look like um, for these leaders? Uh, whether they're burned out, whether they're in working under a narcissistic leader, um, or they've left and now they don't want to end up in the same situation again. Because I've seen that happen. Um, what what does it look like for them to to be healthy? And what does a healthy culture look like, or a healthy leader look like to work under?
0: Well, I mean, I think healthy leaders are curious and humble <laughs> first. I mean, they're they're uh, they're curious about their impact. They're curious about how they show up. They're very very willing, and this is where humility comes in. Very very willing to hear from others within the organization, others that report to them, how they um, how they're impacted. They're just not afraid of those conversations. Someone comes to them and says you know, the conversation last week was a little off-putting, or I felt dismissed by you in the staff meeting. Uh, healthy leaders are uh, not quick to the draw, you know, not quick to react. But um, now, all, all of us have some reactivity, all of us have nervous systems, all of us, you yeah. know, when we perceive threat. Um, but I think by and large, you're on your way to be, be, being that leader who is, uh, shows up with humility and curiosity and in part, that's because you have done your own work, as we've talked about. In other words, you've, there, there's some old language that goes all the way back to St. Augustine here in the 10th chapter of the Confessions, where he says, let me know myself, let me know you all, O Lord, mm-hmm. no verim me, no te. Um, he just spent nine chapters telling his own story. And I think that there's an example there in church history of, do we know ourselves? Do we know our own stories? And so when you when you know yourself, when you know when you know yourself well enough to know how people and situations impact you in a variety of ways, well, then when, when it comes, uh, you may be less apt to react, you know, because you've experienced that before Um, you've gotten critical feedback before you've, you've had someone say no to you before. Um, uh, When we haven't done our work, uh, we tend to be more abrasive. We, We tend to be more reactive. Right. And so, um, healthy healthy individuals have done that work. They're curious. They're humble, and healthy systems um, have that an expression of that kind of freedom um, mm-hmm. more collectively. You know, healthy systems are are curious. They're playful. They're creative. Uh, they're connected. People are compassionate. Um, you know it when you see it. I when I walk in and do some organizational work, and I'm invited to do some sort of retreat or Enneagram thing or assessment or whatever it is. Boy, I can walk into a room and just almost feel it right away—the kind of the thick walls yeah. of anxiety around people, or or the playfulness. And when I talk about playfulness, I'm not talking about like the the joking of an anxious system, you know, because I see right. a lot of that. Like, um, it's anxious joking, you know, or this isn't going to be. Uh, this is going to be too hard, Doc. You know, this. You're not going to ask too many hard questions, are you? You know, that kind of nervous. You know. Yeah. But but really a, a kind of um, delightful playfulness. I remember doing a doing this that kind of work with a uh, with a church in um, Northern California, where I, I walked in and even the site that they had chosen, the place that they had chosen, the way that they had arranged our time together told me. You are a people who know how to rest. I I'm not coming here to uh, I, I'm not gonna have to do a lot of heavy lifting here. And and in fact, I might just be able to um point out some of the beautiful things that I'm seeing with you and among you. But it was interesting. They were asking me to come in and do some assessment. And by the end, I said, Thank you for asking me to come in. You you guys, you guys are the picture of health, you know. So yeah. <laughs> well that's nice, that's nice to hear. Funny. <laughs> yeah, right. It happens. There are healthy pastors and healthy systems. Right. There are. Yeah. Right.
3: I think. I think one of the keys is just that sense of relaxed environment. Um, yeah. You know, it's not. It's not a, an environment that's filled with tension. Um, also, I find that leaders uh, who are healthy are interested in developing the leaders around them. Um, they're not—they're not, they're not going to so much fit them into their system and make them, you know, square peg in a round hole or something like that. Yeah. But they're going to—they're going to develop the—the the work around the person, yeah. uh, around their gifts, yeah. around their abilities, their story, their experience. Um, they're going to be interested in all those things and recognize that leaders thrive when they, they live out of who they are yeah. rather than just a task to, to complete.
2: Um,
3: I think one of the the other things that I find in a healthy uh, leader and a healthy system is they're clear. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they have a real sense of where the boundaries are. Uh, and as long as you stay within these boundaries, you have complete freedom. Uh, and if you get outside the boundaries, here's the penalties, you know, maybe there's a, a a margin there, but, um, there's, there's just a sense of, I know exactly what I'm expected to do and how I'm expected to do it, and what freedom I have around those those mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, um, that to me that's, is is one of the key signs.
0: Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Have you experienced systems like that where you go in and and you're like, "What? Well, here it is. There's freedom. There's clarity. There's creativity. There's playfulness."
3: Uh, only where I work now. <laughs> <This> <laughs> well, that's is, good this, to know. Th- this is the first time uh working in PIR. This is the first time I've really experienced um the clarity and, and the freedom to do that. Um and the freedom to ask for more clarity. Um mm-hmm. there have been times in other places where I, I asked for that in um there was just no uh no way of getting to that space. Yeah. Uh, with the, the leaders I was working with
0: yeah 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 well there was I actually appreciate- a
3: resistance to clarity because then then uh, they could maintain control yeah. um, by keeping things unclear
0: yeah well I appreciate what you do in the space that you're in um, and uh, you know I've sent some people your way over time and um, that space that you provide for pastors particularly who are in um, you know season of some significant confusion and and the way you you can sort of hold their hand through the wilderness you know of confusion and uh and help them well whether that's making a choice to see a therapist or processing some things with you or going to another spiritual director of some kind or whatever Mm -hmm. it is um and the clarity you've provided even with the book on burnout
3: well thanks chuck and uh like I said, I, I always appreciate your work. Uh, your your books, Wholeheartedness, I think is one of the most important books out there. Uh, when Narcissism Comes to Church is a really helpful diagnostic type book. Um,
0: uh, I thought you were going to say it's the best book on narcissism in the whole wide world.
3: <laughs> it is. It is excellent. And so, um, yeah, I'm really thankful for you. And, and thanks for taking the time to have this conversation. I hope it's Helpful yeah. to leaders who find themselves in these spaces.
2: Yeah, thanks. Sean, that was a fascinating conversation. Uh, so hope-giving, and uh, we pray would be a real encouragement to our listeners. Uh, what, what's one thing you walked away with from that conversation with Chuck?
3: I think the most important thing is um, just making sure you do what you need to do uh, to protect your family, uh, and yourself in the middle of all that's going on. Chuck talked about taking things slowly, and I think that's important, but also recognizing that you can stay in it too long uh, and do a lot of damage. Uh, so just his his uh, instruction to, to take it slowly but be mindful of what's going on in you and in your family
2: uh, is just so helpful and such an
3: important uh, lesson to learn.
2: Well, thanks so much for sharing that conversation with us. And to our listeners, we invite you to respond. We'd love to hear your comments on our webpage, HopeRenewedPodcast.com, and uh, there you'll also find uh, previous conversations we've had with Chuck and uh, a lot of other resources there. It is our prayer that as you place your hope in Christ, you find the grace that's sufficient for all your needs.
1: Thank you for joining us on Hope Renewed. Please help us reach more pastors by sharing this episode with your friends. If you enjoy this podcast, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, or your favorite platform for receiving podcasts. Thank you. This means the world to us. The Hope Renewed podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR, we partner with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced exit from ministry, we provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. To contact us or to learn more about PIR, visit pirministries.org.